Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Let's join our hearts together in prayer. Father, as we open your word, we pray that uh, your words will be heard and that uh, our hearts will be attentive to your words. We pray for these children, Lord, these young people. Thank you for their ministry to us. Thank you that they can join us in worship and continue to bless them and be with them, Father. Thank you for the music that we have sung together and shared in the word already, Lord, through this music and that our hearts truly be healed, and that we can say together, so be it, amen, before you, our loving Heavenly Father. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I want to ask you this morning, just a question, you don't have to answer, it's just for you to think about, why are you here today? Why did you come to church today? Why, Why are you here today? Why are you here today? If I asked our children, I'd be interested to ask them, why are they here today? Why are you here today? Why do you come week in, week out? Maybe you're visiting with us today. You've chosen to come and worship and join with us. Why am I here today? I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, chapter 10. Chapter 10, please. And uh, we have... One section we're going to look particularly out, and then uh, related to the last part. And then part of it we're going to consider tonight as we gather for a Bible study this evening, assuming we have power. Okay? <laughs> I'd like to ask you to look at verse 23. The Apostle writes, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we professed, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another, and all the more, as you see the day approaching. I want us to consider this section here first, and what what the Apostle is writing to these, remember these Hebrew believers, they are believers in Jesus Christ, they are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, they have placed their faith in His atonement for their sins, they are obviously, as the epistle is called, Hebrews, these are are Jewish Christians, there's a lot of Jewish flavor in this epistle to these Jewish Christians, and he begins this section and says, let us hold unswervingly. That's not a word we use a whole lot. Unswervingly. Uh, the idea of firmness. Let us hold on. Let, let us hold to the hope that we profess. And we're going to see the importance of this as we consider these, these people we've mentioned several times who apparently there's a draw to go, to go back to where they came from, to go back maybe to the safety and confines of the law, to go back to the old system. And the, and the apostle is asking them to, to move ahead and to move on with what they have been given through faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, hang on to it. Hang on and don't swerve from right to the left. Hold on to what you profess. But the reason for it is because he who has promised is faithful. He is trustworthy. The Lord Jesus Christ, he is faithful. He is trustworthy. 
And that's going to lead us into, um, and next Sunday is Palm Sunday, of course, and then Easter Sunday. Uh, Easter Sunday morning, our choir is going to be sharing a lot of music that Sunday morning. We'll have a time for a message as well. It's going to be a real celebration. I encourage you to invite somebody to come to Good Friday, the Tenebrae service, which will be a reflection on the death, a, a quiet reflection on the death and the sacrifice and the price paid for our sin. We'll gather Sunday morning to rejoice in the joy of the resurrection. And I encourage you to invite somebody to come come with you to church and join with us. And then after that, um, we are going to resume Hebrews uh, after Easter in Hebrews chapter 11. And Hebrews chapter 11 is the, is, the, is the chapter of faith in the Bible. It's the faith chapter of all these stories of people, men and women in the Bible, who showed such great faith. And we introduce this here when he says, He who promised is faithful. Aren't you glad today that God is faithful? Amen? God is faithful. God is faithful. In fact, it suggests in the epistles and Paul's epistles that we are saved by the faith of Christ, not just faith in Christ, but the faith, the obedience of Jesus Christ who went to the cross of Calvary and paid for my sin and paid for your sin. God is faithful. We worship and we share with a faithful God, a faithful Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that dwells within Hold on unswervingly. Hold on. Don't get sidetracked. Don't get sidetracked. Hold on. Because he who has given us our faith is faithful. But then he says this in verse 24. Let us consider, and the NIV says, how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. The King James translation, the word is provoke. Provoke. You know, that's not a word that we generally, we generally don't associate provoke with, with good things, do we? If I said to you today, boy, I'm really provoked, you would assume something's got me angry. Um, spur. The NIV uses the word spur. I know there's a few people here who know more about spurs than me because they have horses. And if I'm not mistaken, Bill, the spurs are a little sharp, right? And they probably encourage the horse to move, right? You got some Norwegian fjord horses, right? Still, they're probably stubborn if they're Norwegian. Oh, never mind. <laughs> Maybe you got big spurs for those guys, huh? They're girls. But anyway, but the spurs, to spur it on, to, to get it to move, provoke. But it's used in a good sense here. It's used in a, it's a, but it's a strong word. That's the whole point. It's a strong word to get your attention. And you notice what he says. He says, let us consider how we may provoke, spur, put the spurs in the horse and and get the horse to move, to get it to go where it's supposed to go, for its good and for yours. Provoke, spur. And he says, let us consider, it's the same word he uses in chapter 3 in verse 1. It has the idea of careful consideration. Let us consider one another, not to criticism, not to... Not to judgment, but to, but consider one another. Why? So that we may provoke one another. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Why are you here this morning? One of the reasons why we're here this morning is we're here to provoke one another. We're here to spur one another on. Let us consider this. Let us consider one another and how we may provoke 
and spur one another on. I need to be provoked. You know, left to myself, left to myself, I have the same tendency that you probably have. It's called selfishness. And uh, Jim comes first. What matters for Jim, what, what, what means the most for me in my own selfish nature, it's just part of me, is, is I need to be provoked. I need to be, I need to be spurred sometimes to remember what I'm here for and why I'm part of this faith community that I am part of. And I've uh, been blessed to be a part of literally my entire life. And, uh, but let us consider how we can what? Provoke each other to what? Where are we moving toward? Toward love and good deeds. I need to be provoked. You need to help provoke me. I need to help provoke you. I need to help put the spurs in once in a while to remind you, as you remind me, that God has called us to love, and look at the order here, to love and good deeds. The Apostle Paul clearly tells us, I learned in King James, by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of what? Works, lest anyone should what? Boast, for we are God's workmanship. We've been crafted by God. We are God's workmanship and we are ordained and created unto good works. We are called to live lives that show the works associated with being a Christian. Our, our demeanor, our lives, our attitudes should reflect the Lord Jesus Christ. And I am to be provoked to good works. The Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ said, if you love me, you will what? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you truly love me, you will do what I asked you to do. Don't say you love me and then turn around and, and do what I've asked you not to do. So listen, friends, the Bible tells us, the apostle tells us here, and he tells these Hebrew believers, let's give some serious thought to how we can spur each other on, provoke each other. We all need people in our lives who are honest with us, uh, in our families, as spouses, parents, grandparents, children, you know, in our community, in our close friend. We need people who are willing to be honest and to say, should you really have said that? You know, and, and to say it in a way that's not, I can't believe you said that. But did you, did you, should you really have said it that way? Did you really intend, should you really be doing that? Did you forget this? And our natural response so often is to react. But we are called to love one another and to spur each other on, to put the spurs in and to move the horse and to move us in the way that it should go and we should go to love and good deeds, good works. That's one of the reasons why we are here today, friends. We are here to worship God. If I, if I took some time and asked you, why are you here? And some of the answers you would give, I think we would talk about we are here to worship. We are here to fellowship. We are here to serve. There's a number of reasons. Maybe you're here out of habit. It's a good habit. Maybe you're here because somebody brought you here, made you come. There's all sorts of reasons. But the Bible tells us that we, to get together as believers in Jesus Christ, and that these Jewish believers were to provoke one another to good deeds and to love one another and to love God. Then you notice verse 25. One of the very few verses we have. 
in the Bible that address our getting together. It's interesting. It's amazing when you think about what an important part of our life, what an important part of my life. When I look back over my life, the Berean Bible Church has been one of the hugest influences and significant aspects of my life, not just as pastor, but growing up as a, as a young person. And these kids up here are singing, and, 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 and I, you know, I've been part of this church family. And there's so few verses in the Bible that, that talk about what we are supposed to do when we get together, how we are supposed to do it, how often we are supposed there's sort of an assumption, you know, they came out of this, this Jewish context where they were well familiar with the synagogue service and they gathered every Saturday, every Sabbath day, and they gathered together and they read from God's word. They sang the Psalms that someone spoke and preached from the word. They gave their tithes and offerings to help the poor in the community and to help sustain the ministry of the synagogue. And when these believers, when these people became believers, they continued this and they gathered, but they changed to the first day of the week. Why? Because it's what? Resurrection Day. And they began to meet the first day of the week, probably in the evenings, because it was a work day, probably in homes, and gathered around a common meal. And he says this, verse 25, one of very few places he actually addresses this topic, he, whoever the apostle is here, but of all the apostles, very few places, it's just sort of assumed, he says this, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. These are strong words. Spur, provoke one another. Let us not give up, which would imply that already this early in the story, there are people who are suggesting we don't need to get together. There's no reason for us to get together. Uh, some years ago, I read a book that was very critical of the organized church. And there's no doubt, there's no doubt the institution, the organization of the church has its faults and has plenty of places to be criticized. But at the same time, there's a reason why we are still churches. An uh, author in Christianity Today wrote a very good article and quoted, he was called, Who Needs the Church? And talked about this. And, there, and, and I know that we all go through times maybe where, well, we don't really need the church. You know, we can, we can worship by ourselves. Yes, you can. I can study by myself. Yes, you can. Um, I can correspond by the way. Yes, you can. But he says here, don't stop getting together. And in fact, the word he uses here for assembling, you notice that it says, in your translations, it may say the word assembly. It doesn't say the word church. The word church is not in this passage. The word ecclesia, the word church, is not here. The word that's used here for assembly, I'll say it to you in the Greek, and you tell me if it sounds familiar. Episunagaga. Episunagaga. Episunagago. <laughs> Synagogue. Sunagago. Gathering together. These Jews understood right away what he was saying. This is the Greek word that the Jewish people use for their assembly. The synagogue, the synagogue, the synagogue. Epi, gather together. Don't forsake that. And the word forsake is also another strong word. It's the word abandon. It's not simply neglect. It's much stronger than neglect. It's not don't neglect to get together. He says don't forsake getting together. Don't abandon it. Don't abandon. Don't leave. 
Don't forsake. Don't forsake your assembling, your synagoguing together. Don't forsake this. Why? And some have the habit of doing this. It's not just an occasional. They've already gotten the habit of saying, we don't need to assemble. We don't need this. It's been too hard. It's been too hurtful. It's too cumbersome. There's all sorts of reasons and good reasons. But he says, don't do it. Don't abandon your assembly together. But what instead? Notice what he says here. We're back to spurring. We're back to provoking. But let us encourage one another. Why are you here today? Why are we here today? Yes, we are here to worship God. We are here to serve. We are here to learn. We are also here for one another. I mean, what, how else do you read this? Don't abandon the assembly. And, and I'm using the word assembly in, in, in the sunagogi here because if I say church, well, he's just talking about the Brian Church. And, and uh, yes, we'd love you all to be at the Brian Church. I'd love the whole city of Shoreline to come to the Brian Church, okay? I'm not sure where we put everybody, but we, of course, of course. But, but we're talking here about the concept of assembly together. My, my biggest concern for you is that you are assembling with believers somewhere. Don't give up on it. Don't give up on it. Don't abandon the assembly. It's not just about you. You don't abandon your family. Is living in a family ever tough? Huh? Is living in a family ever a challenge? Are there ever differences of opinion in your family? Are there ever differences between generations in your extended family? Are sometimes family gatherings difficult? Are sometimes they a challenge? But we don't abandon our families. Because as a family, we help each other we provoke each other we disagree sometimes but we work these out and we become better people don't abandon it but instead he says encourage one another encourage one another you know i it's interesting yesterday we had our men's breakfast and we have a group of Anywhere from 20 to 35, it just depends. That We meet each uh, once a month. You're all men, boys, you're all invited. 8 o'clock, we have breakfast. And uh, we have uh, some guys come in early, make us pancakes and fruit and sausage. And we get together and coffee. And then we just have a little time. And uh, Bob Lercy leads us in sort of an interview generally as somebody from our church to kind of share, get to know them better, get to know one another better. Occasionally we have a special speaker, but mainly it's, that's what we do. Yesterday, uh, we had a, a guest speaker, the, uh, the very well-known Graham Stinson, esteemed Graham Stinson there. He was our guest interviewee. I think he's here somewhere. Didn't I see you somewhere, Graham? There he Oh, right there. Okay, sorry. And, um, you know, it's interesting, Graham. You know how um, he, he had commented about something I had said one time that, that, that meant something to him. And somebody afterwards said, isn't it interesting the things you say you don't really give a lot of thought to that, that God uses? Yesterday, Graham said something that as soon as he said it, it just struck me. And that wasn't really a significant part of his talk. It's something he just shared when asked a personal question. And, you know, as, as pastors, you know, we, um, we every so often go to pastors conferences and things like that because, you know, we're, we're the idea, you know, we're generally teaching and preaching and giving and giving and giving. And sometimes we don't take time to sit and receive, you know, from others. We do from the Word. 
And, um, and, and I saved a lot of money yesterday, but not having to fly to a conference and go hear something, because I heard something yesterday that, that really impact, really stuck to me. And, and Graham said this. I don't even need to give you the context. He just made this statement. It's really easy for God to take care of us. That just struck me. It's really easy. I've been thinking about that all day yesterday. I was really encouraged by just coming to breakfast yesterday, if nothing else, to hear that. It's really easy for God to take care of us. Wherever you are in life, whether you're young, in between, older, older yet, every phase of life has its new challenges, doesn't it? What are, you, what are you thinking about right now for the future? What is, what is it that's on your mind for your life? What are the things that you find yourself spending a lot of time sort of thinking about and maybe having a little anxiety and worry? I'm the same as you. I'm no different. What are you worried about for your children? There's beautiful children up here and the rest that are in our audience this morning. What do you worry about for them? What's your biggest, if someone asks you, what is your biggest concern today for your children or grandchildren? What would you say? It's really easy for God to take care of us. It's true. It's not hard for God to take care of what belongs to Him. I was really encouraged by that, Graham, yesterday. By coming together, by assembling together, I was provoked and encouraged. And that thought's been with me, was with me all day yesterday. That's why we get together. To encourage one another. To help one another. To remind one another. Sometimes of the simplest things that that are so obvious. And look what he says here. And we need to do this all the more as we see the day. The day. In my translation, it's capitalized. In the Greek, it wasn't, of course, because it was was either all caps or no caps. But the idea is the day. What is that day? Is it the coming day of the Lord? Is it the coming day of judgment? You know what was interesting? Several commentators across the board, some from you know, my view of scriptures, others from completely a different theological tradition, it was really interesting to me how many of them commented that because this is the epistle to the Hebrews, that the author may very well have had in mind in suggesting to them in their own lifetime the coming day of destruction upon Jerusalem. It was impending. And within this lifetime, in this context, the Romans are going to come and completely smash and destroy what they know of Judaism and the temple and Jerusalem and everything about their Jewish life and culture in in Palestine. And many of the commentators across the board suggested this. That he's reminding them and challenging them that there is a day approaching. You can't go back. Don't go back to that. It's going to be destroyed. The day is coming. And of course, it, 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 it prefigures also the coming day that God's judgment will come upon the world. Let us encourage one another, even more so as we consider the day approaching. 
Now listen, this section in between here, we're going to cover tonight. It's a, different, it's a difficult challenge. If we deliberately sin and keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice is left for sin. You can read this section verse to verse 31. This is going to be our topic tonight when we come back and, and consider this passage some more. But I want to jump down to connect this with the assembling together to verse 32. The author says to them, Remember those earlier days? So he's talking about their historical situation. What happened to them? Don't forget, those days have come, that have already gone. After you received the light, has to be the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of what? Suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult, publicly. Insult and persecution. Other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathize with those in prison. Some of the translations say you sympathize with my imprisonment. That's a, it's a translation issue there. But either way, you sympathize, you associated with those in prison. And you joyfully accepted, you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. And, you know, I stopped and I I thought about this, and and the reason I want to connect this with what I just read. He says, don't forsake the assembly. Don't give up on it. Don't leave it on its own. Don't forsake it. You need to be together. You need to be together to encourage one another, to love one another, to, to help each other share love and good deeds. You need to... To share the joy of, of, of the family of God. Why? Because listen, you already know what's happened. And probably is happening. You've already experienced it. You've been persecuted. You have been physically persecuted. You have lost jobs. You have lost property. Some of you have gone to jail. You've been, you've been ridiculed. And you know, I, it got me thinking about this. And we'll, we'll close with these thoughts this morning. But this, it really got me thinking about this. How different would our assembling together be? How different would our assembling together be today if this were our story? How different would it be? How different would it be for me as a pastor and for Kevin and Gary as as we stand up here if we knew that by even coming up here and doing this, there's a good chance we could join fellow pastors in prison this week. What would we do? And we knew our families, Rachel and the two little guys there, little guys, would be on their own. Kevin's wife and teenagers would be on their own with with nothing. Teresa would be on her own. What would we do? What would we do? What if you knew coming in this place today that there was a good chance that somebody was keeping track of it and you would lose your job this week? You'd lose your practice. Boeing would have to let you go. Both of you. If you knew that, if you knew there was a good chance that your teenagers would be put on display in the local theater and made fun of and lose their lives, what if you knew that coming in these doors today 
there was a good chance that your property and your businesses would be taken away from you. How might that impact what happens when we get together? I wonder what it would look like. I wonder if some of the trivial things that we critique and get upset about and make a big deal over would all of a sudden not be very important. I wonder what it would be look like for me as a pastor. This is real. We know that, right? Right, Sherwood? We know. We've got family, the young man here who's, whose family live in that kind of a world where pastors are being jailed. People are losing everything. But they keep getting together. You know, it just really challenged me this morning. It challenged me as I was reflecting on this passage that when this apostle says, don't give up getting together. Boy, if they had, if anybody, you know, if they had reason, if anybody had reason, they had reason. It was very costly to get together. They've already been there. There is every reason to give up on this new Christianity thing, take their faith quietly, keep it inside, go back to where they came, and not have to pay the price. But he says, don't do that. In spite of the cost, get together and encourage one another. Spur each other on to persevere. Spur each other on in the face of persecution to love and good deeds. To love and good deeds as you see the day approaching. How might it impact us? What might our fellowship look like if this was our world? And let me just wrap up with this thought. I want to suggest to you, this is our world. We just sometimes don't want to think about it or take serious what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6. Put on the full armor of God that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. This is our world. And it is important that we get together. And it is important. It is important, friends. Our assembling together, whatever it is for you, our assembling together does matter. And it's not about you. It's about us. What would it look like? Would I be here today if I was facing what these people were facing? I pray God would give us the courage, the joy, 
and the understanding that the community of faith is really, really a vital part of what he is doing in our world today. I'm going to invite our worship team to come up and share our final hymn together. And we will be dismissed. And we will leave this place as the church gathered. We scatter to serve the Lord in love and good deeds. Let's close the service in prayer this morning. And as we do so, as we leave this place today, just want to remind you, it's, it's really easy for God to take care of you. It may seem like uh, the things in your life right now are just a really big challenge. But it's not hard for God. Great is His faithfulness. He loves us so much. He loves us so much. And what He's asked of us is to lay, lay our burdens down at His feet. Our Lord Jesus Christ, come unto me, all you who are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Father, we thank you today. We just give you thanks today, Lord, that you love us. We thank you for the place we do have. We do, we do give thanks for our freedom that we, that we can come on this Sunday when we have brothers and sisters around this world who are gathering in great danger and poverty and difficulty today. It's so easy for us to come. Now, Lord, we just pray we will never take for granted the value of a place to come, to worship, to share your word, to encourage one another, to share with our young people and children. And if the day comes, Lord, where we've suffered those persecutions, may we look to you and stay steadfast. And hold unswervingly to a God who loves us so much. In Christ's name, we leave this place rejoicing once again in the message of the resurrection from the dead of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.